Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, and it is... 715 degrees here where I live. Yes. It's probably only like 692 degrees where you live because it's a little cooler where you are. But uh, I am very curious to find out what you are drinking as we are going to record this, given how goddamn hot it is. Well, as I've talked about before, when it is this hot, I like to stay low with the ABV stuff that's light and easy. So I'm once again, I am returning to Ashland Hard Seltzer. Uh, This is a cherry lime blue raspberry, so there's so much going on there. That Uh, is a lot going on. But it is fine. Uh, Not fine. It's good. It's solid. So nothing to complain about. I just like the other mixes that I have in there. I think like one is like a peach ginger. The other one is a mango pineapple, and the other one is a fruit punch. So this is probably my least favorite out of the variety pack, but it's still a super solid variety pack, and you get it at Costco. It's like... 23 bucks and you get 24 cans so it's a pretty solid deal nice nice yeah for me it's um so i was okay real temperature the real temperature where i am is 110 degrees so i really wasn't that far off when you think about wow. it um but but i was i was out at lunch today and i was thinking about the stuff that's in my fridge and i have really pruned down the beers in my fridge and i was like i don't really have anything I mean, I have a couple things that are easy and drinkable, but I'm still going through that Kona Brewing 24-pack variety pack, and I've been hitting that pretty hard the last, like, 8, 10 days, and I just needed something different. So I was near Trader Joe's, and I grabbed a couple of the Harlan Brewing Japanese lagers, which is one of my favorite beers, period, full stop. And uh, it was great to grab a couple, and I <laughs> we had a slight delay in recording the podcast, so I, I drank about half of it already. It's very light. It's just 5%. So I'm probably going to have a little bit of something else during a period where you talk. I think I'm going to get make myself a little bit of a, like a, uh, what's it called? Like a Diet Coke and bourbon or something oh, like okay. that for part two. Yeah, just something a little bit lighter. But yeah, this beer is, is excellent. It tastes great. And uh, the, the perfect thing for a day like this, that's for sure. So I think the height uh, we hit over here might have been somewhere around 95. So not mm. as bad as 110. That's pretty brutal where you're at. So, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, but that 95, that 95 feels pretty shit, if I remember right, where you are, because it's it's wet. You know, it's it's way more humid because you're closer to the water. Where I am, dude, it has just gotten to the point where it is just dry. It is that Las Vegas Phoenix oven dry out there. But oven dry, you know, like the weird thing about when it gets this hot in my area, you do get a breeze. And there's no humidity. So it's it's strangely, I mean, I know this is weird to say to, to for people out there, but like it's strangely tolerable for 110. And I don't know my overseas uh, metric system, like my, my centigrade that much, but I'm guessing it's somewhere around 43 to 45 centigrade, if I had to guess. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it was I, kind of dry right. over here too, actually. Like the way you're describing it. Actually, it, it might have been a little... A little humid earlier but as the evening went on it did have a dryness to it so like even we were mm-hmm. outside walking the dogs i was just like this isn't terrible i don't want to be out here for very much longer but it's not awful mm-hmm. um we have air conditioning so i'm very happy about that uh been yeah. staying inside as much as i could today so oh okay yeah i got you man i got you so we are here we are recording and it is time for your first thing you did this week man what did you do Oh, man. So many things. So I had a couple left over from the other week. Um, I got a 
Oh, uh, number one, this is actually one I should talk about first. Is I mailed out all of the Kickstarter packages from Wanderers and Melisandre three Kickstarter. So if you have not received yours yet, um, well, by the time this comes out, you better have received yours. Um, but hopefully, the people have received their stuff as of tomorrow, maybe Saturday, depending if you are international. Um, there were a couple of international packages, so that might take a little while longer. But uh, for the most part, everyone in the U.S. should have theirs by now. And so that was a great thing to check off the list. The one thing I do need to send out still is the digitals. I'm missing one file. So as soon as I get that file together, then I'll be able to send everything out, uh, which is kind of funny that people will have physical copies of the comic before they'll have a digital version. It's usually almost always the other way around. Um, but as far as the date of my Kickstarter went, the delivery date was September. So I basically have the whole month to get everyone their digital comics. It's not going to take that long, but... Um, it's nice to know that, hey, their physical books came in a little sooner than they thought they would get them, um, which is A-OK -okay with me. I like to make sure I'm delivering my books on time, if not sooner. So uh, I'm keeping that, that train rolling, uh, but I'll get those digitals out shortly. Yeah, man. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I guess for my first thing, it, it's sort of a thing and it's sort of not. I'm going to be a bit meandering, right? So before I even get to my first thing, I want to mention that it was my birthday a few days ago. It was awesome. Um, it was awesome. At, you know, like it was a middle of the week birthday. We we're actually celebrating, you know, with something cool, me and the family during the week. Um, or sorry, during the weekend that's coming up. But uh, but yeah, so it was nice. It was cool to just have a day where you just treat yourself with absolutely no questions. So did that, um, got a lot of great, you know, uh, happy birthdays from people, which was cool. And uh, I'm just saying that because in the spirit of you talking about the idea of like ramping down, like you did after Comic-Con, like you did after Emerald City, it served as a great ramp down. You know, I didn't write that day and because, hey, it's my birthday, I can do that. So uh, just a, a quick pre thing before I get to my first thing. But my first thing, despite not being that interesting or creative, it is the kind of thing you have to do. And what I did was I, I thought out my 2023 convention schedule. So... I ended up going a bunch of places, you know, I don't think this is going to come as any surprise to people who listen to our Emerald City recap, but, uh, you know, I just reevaluated re -evaluated everything, like, do do I need to go to this show, should I go to this show, blah, 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 and I decided that, you know, cost has to weigh more heavy over everything, you know, heaviest over everything. So yeah, as a result, um, I think every show I'm, I plan on doing in 2023 is going to be drivable. And uh, and we'll go from there. So, you know, tended, I mean, we're already you and I are already in for Phoenix. So that one's already reserved and paid for. I'm already in for WonderCon. And, and then uh, I'm I'm going to I haven't decided whether I'm going to do one or try for two San Diego shows because I would like to do that San Diego Comic Fest. Uh, but I would also like to do San Diego Comic-Con. And I think those are pretty mutually exclusive when it comes to it. But uh, anyway. We'll see. I'll I'll do my usual dice roll for San Diego Comic Con that never comes true. But uh, you know you got to be in it to win it. And uh, and then there's a couple others that I'm evaluating. Like there's the Silicon Valley one that might work might work out for that next year. And then depending on the schedule, Monster Palooza. You know I'd love to do Monster Palooza, but the problem is Phoenix Fan Fusion moved back a week, and 
if Monster Palooza holds as the same weekend, then Phoenix will conflict with Monster Palooza, and I have already paid for my table for Phoenix. So that would be a bummer, but I do hope that uh, maybe Monster Palooza picks a different date, and that would also be amazing. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be pretty regional, and uh, I think that's the way the world's going. You know, I, I did revisit the thinking, and and re, when I re-listened to that podcast where you were talking about how for such a big comic con you know oni was the biggest publisher and again just the idea i'm not i'm not sure what publishers are really doing what shows aside from san diego comic con um you know people just aren't going out to shows i mean maybe the big big boys will do uh, new york comic con too but odds are the big people are only doing marvel and new uh, marvel are only doing san diego and new york and that's it you know so i just think that's the new convention landscape and you know who knows how much money those guys are even making you know like they they might even be doing it as like more of a goodwill gesture than anything else because again it just i find it hard to believe that they're making back the ungodly amount of money that they are paying for these booze when you're selling $5 comics, $10 comics, even even at their prices. You know, they do these convention specials, quote unquote, and they're still $10, $15. I mean, you've got to sell just a grip of those to, to get it all back. And they probably are making money, but I don't think it's as easy hand over fist as people might think. You know, I think those bigger publishers, I think Marvel and DC, I don't know that they're doing it for the money they're making at the shows. Um, the yeah. size of those booths that they have at San Diego when they are there are insane. It's just like yeah. you're looking at, I don't know, what, a, anywhere from a six to a $10,000 booth space, something like that. Oh, God, yes. And, then, and that doesn't even count all the fixtures and the stuff that they're putting in it. Exactly. You know? Like all of the Iron Man suits. I remember, you know, the years they'll have the Avengers costumes, um, the talent that they're flying in the workers that they're flying in their housing and hotels so you know who knows how much money they're spending just to go there so i don't think it is about the profit they're making at the show it's about advertisement for future projects yeah. and and things of that that sort um so yeah it's it's kind of like it kind of makes sense that they're pulling back from conventions, maybe doing smaller booths, maybe not doing anything at all. Because, uh, you know, if it is just for advertisement, you know, that's a lot of dough. Maybe it's just money they have set aside for advertisement. Yeah. So they're putting it, you know, to use. Um, yeah. But it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. And I think your plan makes even more sense, you know, just, yeah, you know, the shows are becoming less and less attended with people that are showing up maybe not necessarily looking for comics specifically they're looking for you know actors famous people something something along those 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 lines and um you know that's not what we're selling so uh yeah, yeah it, it's good to kind of keep it local at the moment keep it drivable and then just kind of wait to see how things go it's like a wait and see era because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and you know all the variations coming out and whatnot you just uh yeah, try to keep those those costs low and, and uh, keep it rolling as much as you can. Makes sense. I mean, based on my experience in corporate America, you're right. And that makes I, I honestly probably should have drawn that line before that the big boys just treat it like a trade show and they budget for it every year. And it's like this. These two shows are our trade show and they are here for us to make ourselves visible. I mean, in trade shows, companies just show up. To, to you know they don't they don't have anything that makes them money back they're just showing their new thing and they're broadcasting it to the world with the hopes that it'll all come back to them as word gets out from this trade show and they talk to their most important business partners right so that all washes it all makes plenty plenty 
perfect sense when you say it. So uh, with that, man, what was your second thing? Um, I got an alternate cover for the next issue of Wanderers and Melisanda. I sent it your, uh, did I send it to you and Gary? Did I send it to you? I can't remember if I sent it in the group chat or if I had just texted it. Uh, you know, I think I just texted it to you. Um, yeah. It's freaking amazing. Uh, the artist has already, he is, does not live here in the States. He is already oh, in the yeah. process of mailing it to me. He gave me a tracking number and everything. So it'll be a couple of weeks before that thing shows up in person. I've got a scan of it already. So it's a matter of making some time, flatting it, and then sending it to Joaquin to see him work his magic. I don't know what he's going to do with this particular uh, piece because the way it is drawn is very um, kind of flowy. Like I, I don't really know yeah. how to describe it, but it's it's going to be a little bit difficult and um, I think he's up for the challenge, though. I have given him a very difficult piece before, and he really made it sing, and he had a good time with it. He was like, dude, that was really fun. And so he's like the type of colorist that kind of wants to be challenged uh, from time to time. So I think this one was going to be a nice challenge for him, and he's going to really appreciate the piece overall. It's just so freaking beautiful, man. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, that's, hey, that's always cool. I mean, challenges... I was just telling somebody about this that like for me the purpose of creating is to issue myself challenges. You know, like I want to in the time that I am creating to push how hard I'm creating. I want to try new stuff that's harder every single time and just keep on expanding cuz in a lot of ways I don't think we've mentioned this before. I I don't think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Like selling books is great. You know what I mean? Getting people to love your books and and having people that come back and having fans, you know, of the of the property, all that stuff, it's lovely. You know, but and and it allows me to keep on creating because, you know, you're breaking even. Maybe you're maybe some years you're losing a few bucks, maybe some years you're gaining a few, maybe some years you're gaining a few more than a few, right? Um and what that allows you to do is just keep on going and keep on pushing and keep on trying because for me, it's all about this quest of self when it comes to creating. You know, how good can I make this? How good is my best? And how much better can I make my best with this time out? And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you let yourself down, you know, and you're like, well, this wasn't as good as my best. It wasn't even as good as my third best. But it is, It you know, the song wrote itself. And now we're going to move on to this next song. Um, so... But when it comes to, you know, the the creating thing and what keeps me going, it's this idea of pushing myself and just trying new stuff and trying stuff that, you know, I don't want to say has never been done before, but trying stuff that's maybe a little less widely done, you know, because you're never going to do anything totally, totally new. But uh, yeah, if you can pick some more interesting angles or some more interesting corners of the creative world and go from there, then you're onto something. And, uh, and that's what I love doing. And segueing that into my second thing... Um, I took one more pass of the animal script, and while I'm not convinced it's ready, I do believe it's ready for me to start lettering it. So this is one of those weird cases where I can't explain why I think this, but I believe that when once I start lettering it, that lettering and looking at the art as I'm dropping the lettering in will serve as the almost like the iron, the iron that smooths out the wrinkles in my story. Because I still feel that there are some wrinkles, but I'm tired of looking at it as dialogue on a piece of paper. 
I just need to see it in the word balloons with the art behind it. Rewrite those word balloons, you know, do whatever I need to do to make it fit and make it work because I also have some artistic stuff I need to do. I think I've mentioned this before, but with animals, one of the tricks I'm going to have to deal with here is the fact that there are some pages where all of the characters talk in pure voiceover. And a year ago, year and a half ago, when I first lettered this and Mike gave me comments on like, I do not know what's going on with some of this lettering, you know, this, this and that. Um, I've learned I've learned stuff since then, and there are ways to do that. Just a quick, um, I guess, craft thing that the you know the the two ways that are most known to do that are um, you can you can either use text boxes or you can use dialogue balloons without uh, uh, arrows, without indicator arrows, and. So those are those are two ways to do it. And then what you would do is you would put the character's dialogue in quotes. So you would actually put quotes at the beginning and end. There are some stylistic things. You can either use quote quotations or you can not use quotations. But that's one way to do it, right? You just keep it moving like that. And then you can also interconnect them so that you can make it clear that one is one character and one is the other character. So then that creates the issue of when you don't have two characters on a page and you can't point word balloons at one of them how the hell do you do you differentiate the two and the easiest way to do that is by coloring is by shading one of the people's dialogues and not shading the other so maybe one is white and one is gray and all that means is starting on page one when you have those people talking you'd better make one of them white and one of them gray so through my learnings, those are the couple ways to do it, and I think some combination of those will work here. But I also may do things like Photoshop a head or Photoshop a face at the top corner or bottom corner of the of the page so that you can sort of have this floating head that is delivering dialogue over the main art of the page. So I know that was a lot in a couple minutes, um, but you know you can always rewind like boogie down productions and uh if that was the kind of stuff that you uh that will help you in your craft as you continue your lettering journey so that's ahead of me and i'll probably start doing that this weekend and uh, and see how far i get and then once i'm done i'll i'll review it nice man yeah uh the as far as the quotation goes with the dialogue so what i've usually seen with that and it might be a stylistic choice it might just be something that i remember so if a character is talking off panel or uh, a narrative over it would be it would be the character actually speaking aloud if the quotes were there but if it's something that the characters are thinking then you wouldn't add mm. the quotes um gotcha and then for like the bubbles without the tails um what i usually would see would be um you know okay so if it was them speaking it aloud yeah you wouldn't add the tails uh, but if it's something they're thinking then you have like the word the bubbly cloud shape around it right mm -hmm. so um i actually just learned how to do that it wasn't very complicated to be honest with you um and so i i used that for i believe issue 10 of second shift there needed to be some thought bubbles and i was shocked that i didn't have any previous to that because i swear i've had characters think things and not say things aloud so it was kind of strange for me i'm like who did those like like someone else had to have created them on a different so it might have been tristan it might have been ian um, but it was kind of funny. Like I was like, Oh, I need to look up how to do these. And when I created them, I was like, Oh, that was actually really simple. Like I was overcomplicating it in my mind and it was a very simple thing to do. So, yeah, man, I hear you. I hear you. So, Hey, that's two down for both of us. Uh, what is your third? Okay. So those were my things from the previous week. Um, how many more things do you have? Probably one. Okay. So I'll just combine these. Um, commissions are rolling in. 
and it's really hard for me to say no to them, but it's also extremely hard to find time for them right now. Um, I'm just so wrapped up in my own projects that to take time away from them to do these these side projects, these commissions, it's going to take a lot. Um, and so I'm letting my clients know, it's like, hey, it's going to be a couple of weeks out, it's going to be three weeks out, it's going to be a month out. I'm just pushing them down the road as much as I can uh, in order to kind of fit them in, but also to tackle my things. It's like I'm, I'm just so in the state of mind right now that I want to work on my own projects that... Um, I don't know, man. I feel like at some point I'm going to have to really pull back on commissions in general and just solely focus on my books because for me that's just what's important. It's the thing that I want to do. Um, but you know, you got to make that that income. So I'm taking the commissions as they're coming, um, but I am pushing those dates out. Uh, the next thing, second shift thirteen, as I said last episode, the thumbnails are done as of today or as of yesterday. I started working on interiors, so I started page one. And it's going pretty well. There's a few characters that I completed on the first page. But there also are a couple of characters that potentially could be Kickstarter backers. So I'm going to do a Kickstarter for Second Shift Volume 2. And I'm going to put a uh, you know guest appearance role. And this these two characters, they're going to be in three pages. So I'm probably going to just put up one. Um, because I don't know that I feel like drawing a likeness for three pages. Uh, but also, you know, that's kind of what that tier includes. It's like you're a character that with, with multiple panels and a speaking role, and these two characters fit that perfectly. So um, it might be something I do for both, might be something I do for one, so we'll see. Uh, but I'm also implementing the Slack method. A lot of the stuff on page one, it's a lot of background, and um, honestly, I don't feel like doing it. I'm not in a background mode at the moment, so I'm not going to draw them. So what I'm going to do is hop to page two. There's some character work on page two a lot of character work actually so i feel like i'm going to switch to that later today or like after we finish up with the pod and uh yeah i'm just going to jump around you know as the slack method does let you do to let that ball roll and and uh you know not slow you down instead of trying to push through these really difficult parts of the page i'm just going to keep it moving i'm going to keep working on characters because that's what i feel like doing and uh the second page got a lot of uh, a lot of good ones so I'm excited to tackle that page. That's awesome. While you were talking, I decided that I wanted to have a part de of drinking here, so I went down and got some Rua bourbon, as promised, and I got myself a Pepsi Zero. Nice. And so we're gonna do we're gonna do a little bit of that. However, when I did it, boy, I got a little I got a little heavy handed on the old bourbon there. So I actually had to go pour some out because it's just too goddamn much. <laughs> I was like, what hath I wrought? So I did stop myself, and I think I think we're all going to win. Although uh, people who have listened to our podcast when we kind of go off the rails maybe maybe think that we're all losing here because uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's an opportunity cost where we could have gotten a, a little bit more weird about 40 minutes from now. Anyway, uh, yeah, man, that's really cool. So that's a lot of stuff. I mean, you continue to, to crank it out. And it is... It is interesting, like this trade-off between, you know, money and your own thing. You know, like I mean, I can't. I can only imagine that it would be very tough to turn away a commission. I I draw and money comes out. Me, I write and money goes out. So <laughs> you know, the the uh, the converse sounds sounds quite fascinating, and I I definitely be willing to uh, to draw as well. But at the same time, you know, there is that opportunity cost as well. So anyway, very very cool. Yeah, so for me, my final thing is 
I'm going to try to make this coherent if I can, because it's about the novel. And it's about how I had a nice mini revelation, I guess. And the easiest way for me to say it is I have uh, had a prologue that I have had in the book. And a lot of people liked it. And then about a year ago, I decided to cut the prologue. And then about two months ago, I decided to put the prologue back in. Oh, interesting. So I can't. I, yeah, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you or on the podcast before, but one of Mike's notes, which I don't think I brought up on the podcast, was he had he had come to me and said, I think you should cut the prologue. And so while most of his notes were basically like, yes, 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 I completely agree with what you're saying. This is one of the ones where I was like, can I get a little more from you? Because I explained the prologue. I said, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And he was like, Okay, that all makes sense. Just make it shorter. That was his note. That was his note. But that was all he said. So about two, three weeks ago, I'm I'm driving and I'm like, I do need to make it shorter, but like, how the fuck do I make it shorter? And then all of a sudden it hit me on how I could make it shorter. So without going into details, because I don't like going into details, we've talked about this before, someday the book will be out and then I can talk about it all I want. Let's just say that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what I realized, and I think, and I even called Mike and I said, I don't know if you verbalized this, but I get the feeling this is what your note was around. And I said this, you know, in with detail to him, and he was like, yes, that is that is what I was going for, so do that. And so... The story had a beginning, middle, and end. But what's interesting of as a prologue, what is interesting about that story itself is if I choose to end it where the middle is, then, then that final part, that quote-unquote act two and three, the halfway point of act two into act three, by cutting that in the old prologue, what it does leads into the is story. Cre- it leads perfectly into the story and it sets up some flashbacks that I do. So that is what he was trying to say, even though he wasn't, you know, being particularly clear about it. I think even that when he was saying cut it, you know, it's it's look, it's readers jobs to give you the notes and they tell you how they feel. And and the thing about it is, for those of you out there that are putting your shit out to readers, I would say their job isn't to figure out your solution. Their job is to tell you what they feel. And then it's up to you, the writer, to decide okay, is this valid, number one? And if it is valid, then how do I work with it? So again, it wasn't Mike's job to rewrite my shit. It was my job to figure out what the hell he was trying to say when he said make the prologue shorter. And that's when it hit me, right? You cut half of it, and then it's it's clean. It feeds the novel just a little bit better, and, and it sets up some shit that I'm doing all the way downstream in the novel because I went too far. You know what I mean? By having a, a, an end of Act 2 and an Act 3 of this mini prologue, I was detracting from the overall story. So I was happy that I found that out, and I actually have rewritten it, and it's pretty polished up and ready to go, and I am submitting it. I'm submitting it to my workshop uh, you know, tonight or tomorrow morning. And uh, right around the time that this airs next week, maybe a day or two later, um, I'm going to find out what they say. So should be good to get that back in action and uh, and see what they say. But yeah, it was a nice little journey there. And, uh, you know, yet another example of how sometimes with writing, you just got to walk up to a wall and bang your head into it for a while. And sooner or later, that damn thing's going to crack. Yeah, I wonder if 
part of the uh, issue with the prologue having an ending, it kind of has a finality to it. I haven't read it, so I, I couldn't tell you that. Um, but I think leaving it open-ended and, and making it flow into the story uh, works a lot better because then there's questions for the reader who's reading that prologue. It's like, hey, how did this end? You know, as opposed to you telling them, then there's a finality to it. And, um, you know, like that's something we've talked about with issues. So whether your story is ending, there needs to be something to pull them into the next book, you know, what, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So uh, having that at the beginning of your story. Yeah, I, you didn't mention that before on the air. So that was news to me. Good. It was actually news that you even put it back in because last the last thing you told me and the listeners out there is you pulled it. So I didn't even know you yeah. put it back in. Yeah, I mean, I and that's actually a nice little instructive note, too. I pulled it because what I didn't want was for that to be the pages that I submitted to an agent. I didn't want the agent to get a false read of the book when I put this out for submission, because you only send your first page, first five pages when you're doing queries with agents. Well, hey, guess what? There's no rule requiring you to send that to the agent. So when I was listening to some of these fiction writing podcasts where you talk about sending to agents, there's an easy way around that. I don't include that in the submission to the agent for the first five pages. I include the first five pages of the now time narrative. And then if they ask for more pages or a full read, that's when I give them the whole book and voila, there's the prologue right there. And then they'll get to the pages that I sent them already, you know, on the actual page 10 or 15 or something like that. So it turned out there was a really easy way around it. And but that didn't even have as much to do with it as the fact that, like, I just liked the prologue. I thought it it, it works well in the context of the story. It delivers information I want to deliver without over delivering it. And uh, and there's a there's a thematic thing I like in the prologue. I think I've solved all the problems there, and uh, and we'll see. You know, again, this novel really does feel like it's it's assuming its final form, and that's a great feeling. And uh, you know, hey, all it took was the better part of five years. Did you have you spoken to your mentor yet? Like with the last uh, group of pages that you were supposed to submit to him? I was actually supposed to meet with him today. But he got sick and he said he'd like to talk next week. So oh, okay. not a big deal. And, you know, look, there, a lot of time has passed. And in that time, I've realized that this, you know, this this is very much a formality now. You know, like I'm going to tell him all this stuff and I expect that he's going to go, yeah, that all checks out and it all makes sense. And even if he doesn't, I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to make it make sense. You know, it's my job to have it all make sense. So I think he'll be surprised when I tell him about the thing I'm cutting. But. Five minutes later, after I explained it, I think he will understand the pure sense that it makes. Again, it just, it creates a clean thing. It makes it easy to pitch to agents. It makes it quite obvious what the story, what the type of subgenre of horror this is. And uh, yeah, man, I just think it all works. Again, it, the novel really has assumed its final form, and I'm happy about that. All right on, man. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. So this is something we're going to do a lot with this current wave of podcasts, right? Like we have these topics that like anatomy, like dialogue and like to be determined things in the future that we're not going to tell you about where the the basics for those they're out there, you know, you can learn them if you haven't learned them already. We're here to talk about nuance and ways that you can use these things um, and, and maybe break rules in some cases, but also just dig a little bit deeper into those things and also dig into our own comic collections because we both love collecting comics. You know that if you've stayed around for bringing the bullshit and we're going to use our own comic collections to fetch some examples that we can talk to right here. So in that spirit with dialogue, 
I think we can talk just a little bit about dialogue and maybe do give a, a few basics. We hit on one, I think, by accident last week when we talk about dialogue, which, of course, and again, this should, this is a review of some basic concepts, but, you know, dialogue in your comics um, should not be dialogue in real life. You know, if you were going to sit uh, at a cafe and, and or a McDonald's or a steakhouse or a train station or wherever you want to sit and eavesdrop, you're going to hear conversations. And if you recorded every single word and then transcribed those words, you would find that in a lot of cases that makes for very boring dialogue. Dialogue is is a conversation, but better. It is, a, it is the, the greatest hits of any given conversation. It doesn't have small talk. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have um, which I just said, unless you want it to, because, again, these are conscious choices you can make within your dialogue and dialogue in general. You know, the difference between speaking dialogue like Scott and I are doing right now or speaking dialogue in any one of the conversations you have every day and writing dialogue is you have the ability to control every single word you write and edit and edit and edit until it's perfect. We say stuff out in the world, it's gone. Look, the thing I just said, it's gone already. But if, if we were able to edit that in a comic, then you can punch it up, you can make it tighter, and you can make every word have some kind of purpose. So again, dialogue, just like real conversation, except only better, cleaner, leaner, meaner, and all that stuff. Yep, absolutely. I'm the artist. <laughs> you're you're actually you're kind of doing an absurdist experiment in why dialogue is so important there you go i guess one one other thing that we'll mention before we start to go into some comics i've i personally pulled three that i wanted to talk about mm. and and we'll go from there but you know that doesn't mean i have to talk about all three dialogue when it's at its best it is doing more than being just dialogue it's it's delivering you information about things that are above and beyond what is going on. It is giving you information about character, or it is driving the story forward, or it is giving you information about the theme of your story if you are want to think about themes. Or, you know, it, it has all kinds of under elements that you can put in there, like conflict, like tension, those kind of things, right? So that's where you want the North Star of your dialogue to be, to where dialogue is doing just more than one type of work. It's doing multiple types of work in one sentence or in one word balloon or anything like that. You know, and, and the thing about dialogue in comics is, in a lot of cases, it's it's probably the, the severe majority of words. You know, because the difference between prose writing and comic writing is drawings take up the part in prose that's not the dialogue. I can write a whole page on what a fucking, you know, farmhouse in a field looks like in a book. But an artist is just going to draw that farmhouse in a field and you're going to get to look at it yourself. So that means that the emphasis on dialogue is that much bigger and the spotlight that much brighter when it comes to comics, because that's so much of where the writing actually happens. Yeah, absolutely. I picked a couple of writers for the, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. We didn't completely go over what we were going to do. <laughs> like we talked about yeah. dialogue. So I mm -hmm. didn't pull specific books. I just um, had a couple of writers in mind. And yeah. one I can just talk about because I read his books for quite a while. Another writer is one of my favorite writers. And, but I did look through uh, one of the books and I read the first issue. It was a trade that I had picked up. And I read the first issue of that trade. I had read this trade many a times, um, but I wanted to get refreshed a little bit just to make sure I knew what I was talking about. 
Um, so I'm very curious. I, I think you should go first because you said you had three, right? So I have yeah. two. I have a feeling that you're going to be taking the lead on this episode, more or less. You're going to have more to say. Um, whereas I was talking a little bit more about artists and uh, totally. you know warping proportion and anatomy and whatnot. I think you're going to have a little more to say than I will as far as the writing goes. Exactly. No, I mean, and that makes sense. And I think that's the design of these episodes, right? When we're talking, look, all we're really doing is playing he's the DJ, I'm the rapper here. Except on different episodes, one of us is the DJ and one of us is the rapper, right? Yep. So on the art-centric episodes, you, hey, man, I expect you to take the lead on that and for me to chime in. And, and same on the converse for writers. So I will use books to illustrate some stuff I like about three writers that I'm big fans of. And then, hey, if I take one of yours, then you just say, yeah, and you can you can go on top of that. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> It was that him? Yeah, that was one of mine. Yeah. Well, then why don't why don't you talk about Brian Michael Bendis, and then I will go on top of your okay. dialogue, uh, your your speech on why I like this book that's in my hand, which is AKA Goldfish, one of my favorite indie books. Right on. Yeah. I. You know what's funny? I was talking to one of my buddies. Uh, shout out Chris. He he's he's going through our catalog. I had told him a while back. He's actually working on a novel. He met Keith not too long ago at a free comic book day, and. Uh, he was talking about writing a novel. We met up for beers and burritos and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm writing this. And I was like, Hey man, like, look, I don't know how much you're into podcasts and whatnot, but I do a podcast with Keith and it's called making comics and he's doing a novel right now. And so he talks about the process of making novels as well as comic books. So, um, you know, and he's also a writer, uh, of comic books. He wants to write comic books as well. So I was like, it might be a good resource for you to start listening to it. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll give it a listen. And, um, he said he'd listen to the first two, so I was kind of curious. I went back and I started listening to episode zero, which is like our origin episode. And you were talking about Brian Michael Bendis and uh, the Goldfinger book, as well as a lot of the other books that he had started off with. And uh, it was kind of funny that that's the book that you picked for this episode. Uh, so the thing that I was going to say about Brian Michael Bendis is I read him for years uh, on a bunch of Avengers books. I read his... Uh, I believe it's Wonder Comics. Um, the Power Power Twins was in that as well. And the thing that I really enjoy about his particular writing, and I mean, I don't know how it is now. I don't read a ton of his stuff lately. But back in the day, if you read a comic book, sight unseen with the with the the credits page, you can pick out a Brian Mike, Michael Bendis book without without looking at that credits page. You knew it was Brian Michael Bendis. It was a pitter patter of his dialogue, the uh, character interactions, lots of comedy, a lot of talking head pages, and uh, in the in the most charming way possible. Like when I was reading those issues, I was reading those issues for the small talk of the characters, for the jokes, for the, the banter uh, going back and forth with the characters. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how he writes now. I don't know if he still has that same technique. But that's something that you could do as a writer. You can kind of have this, I don't know, flow. Just the way the way you write, if it stands out enough, you can pull it. Um, even me, who isn't known for knowing a lot of writers, especially when I was younger, no clue of any writers 
Zero, zero idea about writers. As I got older, I learned more and more about them and who was good. Like you read their books and you're like, yeah, all, all, I like all the books that this guy writes. And, uh, you know, in the 90s, or uh, I would say that's the 2000s, the New Avengers books with Lanil Yu, that's actually why I was reading them was because Lanil Yu was the artist on them and I loved his work. And uh, so anything he was drawing, I was picking up. And those books were the New Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis. And, uh, you know, I went there for the art and I stayed for the writing. And, you know, yeah. Lanil Yu would pop out so often, um, you know, because he's, he's a slower artist. So there would be a lot of fill-in artists. But I would still stick around because I enjoyed the writing and the pitter-patter banter. Yeah, man. I mean, what's what's interesting about that is... That right around the time you got into Bendis was around the time that I had been out of Bendis. Because for me, I was down with Bendis. Again, I don't have many regrets about stuff that I have gotten rid of in the past. But one of those few regrets is I actually have a piece of original art from AKA Goldfish signed by Bendis that says to Keith from Bendis. Oh, shit. Um, that only exists in my dreams. It only exists in the Sandman dream world now because it's gone. But uh, but it was a real thing. And uh, that doesn't... Oh man, my probably when I was purging my house, it just got trashed or something like oh, that. Oh no! Time, you know? Yeah, I mean, I did. You know, you can never predict your future self, right? Right. Because right. that was, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, but but I I enjoyed a lot of those books, and again, I'm, what I'm holding in my hand is AKA Goldfish. This issue is King, and I'm gonna just read a little bit of dialogue here because the great thing about dialogue is it does translate to a podcast, unlike art, and so I think this illustrates how he was writing then. We'll see if that has something to do with, you know, how he carried that over into his superhero books. So I'm just going to do my best to kind of differentiate voice here. In my opinion, in my perspective, opinion, perspective, no, they are not the same thing. A series of events occur. These are the facts. My interpretation, my perspective is what you, oh, come on, right? So that's a couple people going back and forth there. But, like, I think you can already see that there is a very conversational, a very... There is a quippy thing going on, right? Like, this is around the time that Tarantino was exploding, and I think there's an obvious Tarantino influence there in what Bendis is doing. But he's really taking time, and this, you know, like, the first eight pages of this book are just, like, a chatty, back-and-forth, sort of nothing, meandering conversation that... Um, now, this has to do with a person getting questioned by a cop, so that is the context there that they might be leading them around just to stall, just to be a pain in the ass, etc. But I think you can already get the gist just in that short clip that there's a laziness that he's doing there. And that's a purposeful laziness in terms of just bringing it along, letting the characters be the characters and go from there. Um, and something I mentioned on a previous episode way back uh, some time ago is that a lot of times he would write these scripts and then give it to friends who were aspiring actors. And he'd ask them to read the dialogue. And then he would record that dialogue because that dialogue wasn't 100% accurate. They would throw in things like, uh, and you know, and things like that to make it seem more conversational. And then he would write that conversational nature of the actors in into the dialogue and that would end up being the final cut of dialogue. Um, so anyway, so yeah, Bendis, again, Bendis is super good at dialogue. I'm a particular fan of his older stuff, but I'm sure his newer stuff with, you know, image with every comic company at this point um, probably still holds up to those standards. Yeah, th I would say his, like you said, his older stuff, the gold, uh, uh, what is it, Goldfish? 
AKA Goldfish. AKA uh-huh. Goldfish. Yeah, I would. I could see the Tarantino influence in that style. Um, I would say the New Avengers might even be more like a Judd Apatow flavor to it. You know, sure. like I think around that time it was like Knocked Up and you know uh, that those type of movies. I think those were popular. So to read that in a comic. Um, and make that work was really interesting to me. So I think that's partially why I took to those books, like not even realizing it, you know, like if you want to compare it to a movie, which I wasn't at the time, it was just like, Hey, I really like this. Why do I like this, man? Everyone's really funny. So, uh, (laughs) you know, it was enjoyable. It was different. It wasn't what I expected out of an Avengers comic. I did not read Avengers growing up. So for me, it was kind of a new experience. I was an X-Men kid. And, uh, yeah, man, yeah, I really enjoyed Bendis and he was the writer that I did not need any books to pull. I didn't read anything. It was like, I read him for years, uh, doing the Mm -hmm. Avengers. So I just remember how his dialogue was and, uh, yeah, just working off of memory there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, let's go to my number two and we'll see if it's your number two. And if not, you can go to number two and then I can go to number three, which is uh, Tinian. Tinian is number two for me. Okay. And, um, and I got to say that, so the book I'm holding in my hand, this is The Closet, issue two. So this is a current book. Fantastic uh, Unlike book. a, yeah, a, yeah, this is a really good book. I mean, what's interesting about The Closet is it was a quick three-issue story. And it's billed as a horror thing because Tinian has, you know, made his hay as a horror writer. But it's not much of a horror book. It's just an interpersonal book. It, it, it feels like an episode of your your dramedy or your drama uh, shows on a lot of major networks and um what really got me into this book you know i read issue one and i was like this is fine you know it's cool enough right but what really sold me on this book was a pretty long scene if you have you read read issue two scott i believe i have is that the one okay. where he's sitting outside with his buddy talking? Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that that is that is the scene that got me fully into this comic where I was like, dude, really like that scene. this, it was a great scene. And what's cool about the scene is, you know, number one, the dialogue moves, right? Um, and, and it just, it, it, it drives everything you need. And what happens is the buddy ends up giving him shit, you know, and, and it ends up being rightful shit. Like the buddy is right. And I thought that's what was such a cool, like, twist almost, or mini twist in the book. You know, he's he's trying to do this thing and explain why this move is going to be great for he and his family. And then he's kind of, you know, um, what's it, downplaying the things that his kid is seeing, like the stories he's coming up with. And then the friend just busts his ass on... You know, you're not, you're like, you did what? You're doing this? Like, why aren't you, you know, doing all this other stuff? And he really uh, gives it to him pretty hard. And uh, that's what's so great about it, you know? So I don't really want to read too much of this dialogue because it's a current book. And, uh, and I would encourage people to go out there and do it. But again, it's only three issues. It's a neat series. It's very charactery. And it's a nice, clean, concise little package of a story in three issues. Um, and it does some really good work, you know, so I'm sure, you know, had had I thought of other Tinian books, I probably could have dug deep into the dialogue in those as well. But it was this issue of the closet that stuck out. I mean, I must have read it like a week ago 
And I was like, my God, man, that scene is just killer. And, you know, how often do you talk about a comic book and think a scene with two friends sitting outside over a campfire is going to be like the defining scene in your brain for a comic book? So, yeah, just really cool. He really ups the stakes using the dialogue there. And um, there's like great use of sort of dead space and 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 blank panels while also using the dialogue to propel the story uh, along and and give you insight on both the character and how the story is going to end up. Yeah, um, I would say for me that I haven't read a ton of Tinian. I've read some Tinian. If this book is any indication on how he writes his other books, he is very clear and concise with his characters. You have a clear definition of everyone in this book. Who the child is, who the mother is, who the father is, who the best friend that lives out in this uh, cabin or whatever is. It's just very clear, very defined characters, and, um, you know, that really can drive your story home. You know, the the story is a small, a small story. It's not, it's not a big arc or anything like that. And, um, it's about, you know, it's about a father and son, well, a family, a father, son, and a mother moving to a different, uh, state, you know, to get a fresh start. And the father's not great. The mother's not great. The kid's a kid. And, uh, you know, kids are doing what they're doing. So, but the, uh, the way he writes each of those characters, you really feel them as people like you may not know someone, um, you know, intimately or, or, you know, like so close with them, but you might know someone like a coworker that's like this character. You might be this character. Um, so it's just, I I don't have anyone in my family or anything like this, but it was just like, oh, I've I've seen people like this. I've been around people long enough to know that they're like this character. So um, yeah, really great book. Check out the closet, and uh, yeah, uh, Tinian is very strong with characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a savvy observation, and I agree one hundred on that. So uh, so who's your who's your other one? So my other one is Robert Kirkman. So uh, if you listen okay. to the pod, you know that I love Invincible. The thing that I like about Robert Kirkman, he writes dialogue the way I like to read dialogue. So if you've ever read a Robert Kirkman book, more than likely the dialogue is sparse. There is not a ton of dialogue in his his work, but the way he arranges um, scenes, the way he lays out his books, there's just a great flow to it. Um, I've noticed that he does a bit of a Jack Kirby thing. Uh, I don't. He doesn't necessarily start off with a first page splash, double page splash, but he definitely starts off with a uh, double page splash. So that first page, he might give you a few panels, but then he's going to hit you with that double pager with great action on it. And um, um, his dialogue <laughs> is very flowy. And, you know, something you mentioned earlier, like, yeah, you don't want to have like, if you listen to a conversation, it might be a mundane conversation. It's not exactly prime time for comic books or, or a book in general. Um, I would say he writes very, very interesting, very realistic, small conversations. Uh, something that is happens in Invincible a lot. It's Mark, the main, main character, talking to his mom at her house. And those are a lot of quiet, small moments where he's just talking about how he's feeling. And that's not necessarily what you're looking for when you think you're not necessarily what you think you're looking for when you're reading a superhero comic book. And it wasn't something that I realized I wanted out of a comic book either until I read Invincible. And there's so many of those small scenes that reminds you, 
you know, like, well, I mean, they're not real, but scenes like that make you feel like those characters are real. You know, you, you have these small conversations with your mom, your family, and you see a character going through it and he's just talking about these small things. And, and for me, that's like everything, you know, and I think that's what made Invincible the success that it was, you know, not to mention Ryan Otley's killer art and, you know, ability to draw gore, like in a charming way, but the story itself, it was just those quiet moments that the characters were having with his mother, father, girlfriend, you know, close friends, any, any of those things. So, um, yeah, that's my observation, Robert Kirkman. So again, if you've never read Invincible, it's definitely something you should be checking out. Rock on, man. Yeah. And, and Hey, that's not my final writer, uh, but we are, but we are going to make this person happy because this is the second time we're bringing them up. And for me, it is on the writing side. For you, it was on the art side last week. And it is Jeff Lemire. Um, so I believe I've made no secret about my love of a recent Lemire book that he, uh, I believe, drew and wrote, which is May's book. And this is another book that, hey, good news for us, it hasn't been optioned yet. So that means that you can actually buy it uh, for uh, an affordable price. On a side note, we're going to just bring like 45 seconds of bullshit here. Which is Scott recommended 8 Billion Genies. I, the same week that he recommended that, managed to get 2, 3, and 4 at the comic shop of mine. And uh, have been trying to track down one. I asked Scott if he could, so I couldn't find it at my shop. Scott said, oh, you missed me. I kind of missed Scott by a day. And then he ended up not getting it at his shop. I look it up today just to see where it is. Yeah, the goddamn thing got optioned apparently. So now issue one is worth 40 to 50 bucks. So So crazy. That's a goddamn bummer for me because, you know, like, look, I'll buy a second print if I have to, you know, but man, did I want a first print. And that's the that's the calculus I'm doing right now. Like, do I do I want to buy a first print or do I want to just get a third print for four dollars? You know, um, and I'm leaning hard toward the third print because whatever. But uh, anyway, May's book is is a really good book. Just a, another like like Scott hinted at with um, with the closet small story. But it's a great story, and I do recommend it for anybody, um, just anybody who likes good stories or good comics, but also specifically a writing thing. So I'm going to read another exchange. This is about the lead and a neighbor that they meet in the hallway. And again, it's simple, it's clean, but when you combine it with the art, which I encourage you to seek out on your own, then you're going to see that there's this great picture, okay? So I'm just going to be quick about this, but I do like reading dialogue since, hey, it's writing and you can read dialogue and have it matter. Oh, um, Mr. Warren? Yes. Good timing. I think I got a piece of your mail in my box by accident. Oh, thanks. Probably junk mail. Yeah. Um, I'm Lisa. I live in 10, just across the hall from you. Oh, okay. Okay, well, I guess I'll see you around. Yeah, thanks. So, like, the important thing about that that I like. So that's simple, that's clean, and I don't think my reading, my quote unquote dramatic reading, <laughs> I, I think it's it's only enhancing what you see on the page. Like when you, if you find this page in issue one of May's book and you queue up what I just did, you will see that like, I think I stayed very true to what is going on on the page there. And that pause I did at between oh, okay by the lead and then the okay, well, I guess I'll see you around by Lisa he actually did a double word balloon there with three dots in the first part to signify a pause. 
So like he put the pause there. So I like this exchange. It was the exchange I thought of when I even went fishing for May's book in my collection because it's simple, it's clean, and it conveys a lot of information there. You know, like it conveys that Lisa likes the lead and that's what's cool about it. And the lead you does know? not like, give two shits about her. And the lead does not give two shits, exactly. And like all that shit gets conveyed with just some basic pictures and some basic dialogue and that is one page of a comic book. Yeah. So that's what I really like about May's book here by Lemire. It's it's the concision of it, if that's a word. It's just, it's really concise and, and it doesn't use a ton of dialogue throughout even the whole book, but the dialogue it uses, man, boy, just really hits with force, you know? So again, um, in my case, you know, so look, Scott and I are kind of wrapping this up now. I think through the examples we've given, hopefully if any of those interest you, you can go and check out those books. You know, I expressly tried to present things with uh, three different styles. And I think in Scott's case, he also presented things with two different styles. It's just we shared the Bendis thing, you know? So that's four total styles of dialogue people can all make them work depending on what the need for the book is and depending on the personality of the writer. And so you get to do those things too. You have your own personality and your book has its own needs. And uh, so yeah, go out there and write some dialogue. Yeah, check out uh, Black Hammer as well. So if you're into Jeff Lemire and have not read Black Hammer, if you're into the JLA, Justice League of America, um, the characters in Black Hammer, they're pastiches of those of, of the JLA. And Honestly, they're they're their own characters to me. You know, like I really enjoy the Black Hammer series. On my pull list, it says anything that's in the Black Hammer universe. Just stick it in nice. my inbox. I'm I'm gonna get it. Um, so yeah, nice. definitely, definitely. Jeff Lemire is an amazing writer and uh, you know very very excellent artist as well. Yeah, and hey, hopefully you managed to put up with the fact that I was particularly spirited, spirited and passionate there, and it wasn't booze-related, mostly. No, the, so the reading was good. The reading was very good. It was a clear, clear, concise vision of the scene. Like, you didn't show mm-hmm. me the panel. I could see the panel in my head. I can see the conversation uh-huh. flowing, and, and you got the exact uh, um, impression of what the characters felt about of each other, so... Yeah, yeah. Rock on, rock on. So, hey, it's bullshit time, my friend. Do you have any? Is That's the a, you know what? Before we move into bullshit, we actually have a couple of emails. Um, oh, what? No bullshit. Yeah, man. Well, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Hey, so, America, the world, hold off on the bullshit. America, we got enough bullshit for a second. All right. America, we got enough bullshit. Rest of the world, <laughs> you may not have the lump sum of bullshit that we have so Uh, you can hold off okay all right so the first fan email um the first one is by ian walker hey just wanted to let you know that i have been listening to your making comics podcast i started from episode one and currently on episode 11 you guys have been a serious inspiration during my comic creation journey i liked um i like you had taken a hiatus from drawing comics and just stuck with pics and such it's been and it's been so great getting some incredible gems from you guys uh, for my journey, and that was Ian Walker. Ian, uh, thank you for the message. He sh- uh, hit yeah. me up on Instagram, and uh, yeah, thank you for the message. We're glad you're enjoying the podcast. And Ian has left left us five stars, I believe, because um, I had ex- an exchange with yeah. him, and so he made sure to leave us a uh, review there so appreciate the <laughs> all right 
we got them all in check. <laughs> well, that's something I do. So like, you know, and if, and if I hadn't said that to you, if you guys have hit me up on social media for advice uh, with your drawings and such, um, please make sure you're giving us five stars on Apple or Spotify yeah. or anything else. You know, it's just like, hey, we're glad to bring you the podcast. I'm glad to help you guys out with any questions that you have on social media. But, uh, you know, make sure you're returning the favor and hitting us, hitting us back with those five stars. Yeah, um, and I mean, if you're hitting me up with drawing advice, guess what? You got the wrong fucking guy. Send a note to Scott. <laughs> um, this is from Josh. Just Josh. There was no last name. Hello, regular listener here and a big fan of the podcast. Just wanted to point out that Clip Studio actually has one, uh, does offer one-time purchase options on their website, contrary to what was said on the most recent episode. Thanks, Josh. All right, Josh, thank you for the episode. I was actually looking up that um, during this podcast, because I was looking at my notes and I did see that we had the the email from you and I forgot to look that up. So Clip Studio. So what I had said on the previous episode was that I like Procreate on the iPad because it is a one time fee of when I bought it, it was 10 bucks. I think it's about $15 now, maybe up to 20. I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Um, but last I checked, it was $15. Clip Studios is a bit more. I have not looked up the price of that. So if you guys have a tablet, go ahead and look up Clip Studios. But there are fees uh, if you are using certain things. Okay, so what I did just see right now, if you have an iPad or something like that, there is a $2 monthly fee, uh, monthly use usage plan. So that's actually not that bad. But also, I have like a thousand streaming sites, so the last thing I need is another bill, even if it is for two dollars. And I know some people are out there. You guys are ballers on <laughs> ballers on budgets. You you don't want to give Clip Studios two dollars a month. You want to buy four tacos from Jack in the Box. So I get that. Um, that's why I stick to Procreate <laughs> myself. Um, yeah. So there are options for one-time purchase download versions. Um, I see one for Windows and Mac. It's fifty bucks. Uh, there's another one that's 60 bucks. So they vary. Uh, unfortunately, there's so many different versions on here. I couldn't tell you what the one-time payment for the 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 iPad or whatever digital uh, device you have to um, whatever tablet you have. So um, look that up on clipstudio.net, and there's a bunch of options there. So hopefully the the one-time payment isn't too insane. Um, so th this one's for 50 bucks. Like if it's a one-time payment and you do get all those other uh, wills and bessel, uh, wow, easy for me to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that's drinking. <laughs> yeah, bells and whistles. Um, then, you know, like I get it. You're getting way more than what you would get with Procreate. But for me, all I need is what Procreate does. But if you need all those other functions, they're obviously a, a great addition to your drawing palette. So make sure you're going to clipstudios.net and, and uh, check out those prices there. Yeah, man. I was thinking that you might look it up and it's like $2.8 million. That's your one time thing. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like I did see a couple that was like 100 something or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, that's 100 and something dollars. I'd rather pay the 15. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's it's totally. whatever your budget is, whatever your bandwidth is. Um, I'm going to stay stick to the $15 um, application. But, you know, if you do need those other options, then I would say it's worth the price. Totally. I mean, look, that's look Photoshop. The reason I subscribe to all the Adobe stuff is because it's going to cost you anywhere from like $800 to $1,000 to buy one piece of software. Or you can or you can pay 10 bucks a month for that one piece of software. Or what is it like 42 bucks a month for every one of their softwares? Like the, the math isn't hard in that case, you know, like, yes, way down the line, I suppose it has paid itself off. But 
by then they're already on to the next thing. So yeah, man. Hey, I love emails. I love the stuff that's coming in. That's that's great to hear, and uh, it's it's cool to to get that feedback that people are enjoying the podcast. So yeah, right that's great. All right. Well, I think we can get onto the bullshit now. The much ballyhooed, oft delayed, here now and forever, bringing the bullshit. What would you like to start with? My man, I think you need to start bringing the bullshit. I, I'm, I, I have to think about what I want to talk about. Um, I've been wow. picking up a lot. Oh, well, I guess I can bring up that I've been on an Art Adams bend, and I, I saw that he had drawn a while back three three issues of the Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four, which was like Wolverine, Ghost Rider, the Hulk, and Spider Man, I believe, and um, I think it's. 347, 48, and 49. And so my my goal right now is to pick up every Art Adams interior book that he's drawn. And I honestly, oh, wow. <laughs> I, it's not a big list. Oh, really? Like from okay. what I understand, that's not a big a big list to get. And um, I'm, I'm okay with doing it. I already have all the long shots. I have his Monkey Man and O'Brien issues. I have his Monkey Man O'Brien Gen 13 issues. And I just got the Fantastic Four, I believe it's 347, 48, and 49. Uh, so I'm continuing the journey. Oh, and I also have that uh, World's Finest, I believe, annual number one, um, mm. uh, where he had drawn Superman and Batman. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm on my way. I just have to get like to his Wikipedia or something like that and find out every single interior that he's drawn and, uh, yeah, put those together. So I'm excited to go through those issues. I just got them in yesterday, so I haven't had a chance oh. to read through them. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Nice, dude. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. This is actually a carryover from last week. I'm going to talk about some records. Uh, because, so I was I was having a conversation with someone. I know what it was. I was talking about something about Marvel. And then I brought up um, the, the killer episode of, I guess it was called, what, Marvel 626 or Marvel 616, I guess? Earth 616? That, that series. See, I knew I'd get there eventually. Um, the one about Japanese Spider-Man. And uh, and these people had never heard of Japanese Spider-Man. So I proceed to tell them about it. I show them the trailer for that episode of Marvel 616 or Earth 616 or whatever it's called. And then I proceed to talk about how goddamn funky the soundtrack is. And I oh, I know what it was uh, spurred on by. It was spurred on by the fact that someone asked, what are my favorite records in my collection? And I mentioned the my vinyl copy of the Japanese Spider-Man soundtrack as one of them. So in the context of all this, I happen to mention that I got this through a Japanese store that I'm aware of that, uh, you know, every now and then I will just go on it and see if they have records that I like. And I, I know my way around. I mean, look, I've been doing music for decades. I've been doing hip hop. I've been messing with pr- producing. I just like to collect. And I know, you know, I know my stuff when it comes to breakbeat records and things like that. So I like I just say, hey, I like to go on here because every now and then, if your timing is right, you get a really killer record at a discounted price. So then like later that day, I'm like, shit, I haven't been on there for a while. So I go on there and I see uh, I'm, I'll explain these as I go. Right. I see this song called Hit Songs Memory by K- it's off the Kakaida soundtrack. So Kakaida is a 1970s tokusatsu um, you know, Japanese superhero TV show. And um, I'm like, holy shit, it's there. It's there, and it's only 1,500 yen. So the loose 
translation from yen to dollars is you know 100 to 1. So 1500 yen is 15 bucks. That is a $50 record generally. So I and and I'm like uh it says it's in stock. So I add that to the cart. And then I'm like shit, I better do this soon cuz the way this store works is you put your order in and then they let you know the next day or the day after what's actually there because there could be delays. So immediately I'm like, man, I got to put an order together now. Well, I come across something else. I believe it's called Kamen Rider Black or um, I can't remember exactly what it's called because it's in Japanese, but it's a well-known breakbeat record. It is a $100 record in a lot of circles. The goddamn thing is 4,000 yen there. It's 40 bucks. So I'm like, it's also in stock. And I'm like, uh, duh. So then I do that. And then I find a few other um, like Japanese superhero soundtracks. I add those because they just looked interesting. And then I, I hit my submit and I'm like, well, now I wait, you know, and uh, and hey, the price of the records had only come to about even with the other two I got, maybe no more than 70, 75 dollars. Oh, wow. but shipping shipping from Japan is expensive. So you're waiting for the, you know, the 50, the 70, the 80 dollar Whopper that comes at the end. Right. So I, I, I was uh, with those same people. Actually, we were hanging out and I said, ah. They probably aren't available. You know, like, I'm submitting my order now, but these things sell out so fast. There's just no goddamn way, right? I wake up the next morning. They were all in stock. Oh, wow. Like, here's your invoice. Your invoice is for 100 and, well, well, 10, what, 10,500 yen. So $105 as a calculation. And I'm like, shipping? hey, yeah, well, that includes the shipping, wow, right? So the shipping great, ended up being that's like That's the cost 30. of that one album. Yeah, I mean, basically like 30, 40 bucks, right? And here's the better news, Scott. I was wrong about the conversion because the dollar is so fucking strong overseas that now, like 1,000 yen is not $100. It's 75. Oh, shit. So because of of the exchange rate, I basically got all four records delivered to me for like $77. That's amazing. Yeah, and now, and now, and look at that. There they are. There's Hit Song's Memory and the Common Writer record. So, Dude, so awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was stoked because, no lie, those are the those are the two records that I really, really, really wanted to have that are not part of my collection. I mean, you could go deep down the rabbit hole. I mean, when you start getting into, like, breakbeat collecting, for those people that don't know, breakbeats are the open drum breaks or open instrument breaks that are in songs. And uh, the reason hip-hop people love breakbeats is because you can take that breakdown where it's just drums, sample them, loop them, and then they become the drums to your new hip-hop song. That's why hip-hop people have such a foundation of breakbeats. That's that's the foundation of hip-hop right there, understanding where the drum breaks are on records. So anyway, I'm I'm psyched, and now while I have a meager Japanese you know superhero soundtrack uh, portion of my collection, hey, I got every record that I care about. There's only like nine of them, but nine is all I wanted, and nine is what I have. So yeah, man, I was really stoked for that. It was just like good news all around. Hell yeah, that's really cool. Um, I went to SoCal Comics today, and I was waiting for my buddy to get there. He was 30 minutes late, so I had to kill some time. So I was going through the back issues. And I saw, I was like, hey, what, what do I want to look for? And I had just watched uh, an episode of a YouTube show, and they were looking at the Dark Knight Gothic, or the... Um, yeah, Legends yeah. of the Dark Knight Legends Gothic, of the Dark Knight. Uh, issues 6 through 10, right? Yeah, look at you. Um, yeah, so I was looking through, I was like, hey, 
SoCal has a giant, uh, you know, Dark Knight collection. Let me let me check it yeah. out. I ended up finding issue seven there for a dollar, and I was like, oh yeah. hell yeah. You know, it's a uh, uh, Grant Morrison and Klaus Janssen. I was like, yes, fuck yeah, I'll take a Klaus, uh, you know, a Klaus Janssen comic for one dollar. So I picked that up. I had more time to kill because he got there. He started. He he needed to do his uh, you know, walk around, see what he wanted to get. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what else do I need to look at? I was like, you know what? Let me go see if they have the rest of the issues on the other side. The other side is where they keep their uh, a little more expensive books, but they also have non-expensive books there as well they'll have books in that section for three dollars and mm-hmm. it's like granted the cover price back in the day was a dollar dollar fifty yeah. but hey you know three dollars is almost less than cover price these days you know what oh, I mean? that's that's not even inflation inflation would make those things six dollars right now yeah exactly so um you know i found issue uh the first one six and then i found eight so i have the first three and those were three bucks a piece um, yeah. And so I was glad to pick those up. And while I was there, I was like, what else have I been looking for? West Coast Avengers. It's like this random weird book that I feel like collecting. And I mm-hmm. already have the White Vision comic, which I believe is mm-hmm. the most expensive comic in that run, right? Yeah. So now I can just nickel and dime everything out. So I was like, let yeah. me see what they have there. They had West Coast Avengers number one. It was 30 mm-hmm. bucks. I was like, I don't think I want to collect it that bad. <laughs> And then I kept flipping through another $30 issue, $10 West Coast Avengers number one. And I was like, I'll pay $10. Like, that's a pretty good pickup. So I grabbed issue one for 10 bucks. They had issue two for three. They had issue four for three. So nice. Yeah. So I picked all those up and um, not a bad day at the comic store. There was like six modern books that I pulled. But honestly, those were the things that I was most excited about. Oh, the thing that I was... uh, also very strongly excited about i would say equivalent to west coast avengers number one was batman black and white number four so you're familiar with batman batman black and white right yeah man i have a few of them okay cool so for those of you out there that don't know about the batman black and white series it's a uh, short stories by very famous creators in black and white only so two out of the four stories i was very excited about in this particular issue the first one was Brian Boland, uh, of Killing Joke fame, he wrote a short story. It was very entertaining. The art's amazing, as usual. And the other one was Katsuhiro Otomo from Akira fame. He actually did a short story with Batman. And to have those two creators, those powerhouses, in one issue, and to get that for a dollar, it was not a bad find. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm immediately adding that to my polls, man. That sounds super cool. And Batman Black and White is fun. And hey... Black and white comics. Is that a thing? Oh, wait, it's totally a thing. I've been doing it for nine years, and other people have been doing it for like 40. Yeah. Were you <laughs> anyway. a fan of the black and white explosion? Of course. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a, uh, look, I'm a fan of good comics. So the problem with the black and white explosion was is the problem with a lot of these fads. You can't make a shit comic in black and white and expect me to care. Wasn't the black and white explosion triggered by Cerebus and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in the day? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so basically like gold standard indie books are what triggered the explosion, but then you got a whole bunch of nonsense after that. So, hey, I'm a fan of good books, and more importantly, I'm a fan of the medium that helps tell the story. You know, like when it when it comes to personal stuff with Kadoja, I just think Kadoja's cooler as a black and white book. I think it fits the theme better. 
it conveys it conveys a lot of things and i want it to convey every single one of those things so yeah black and white explosions fine but really it's just about a good book and uh whatever you know whatever format supports that good book right uh do i have any other bullshit i mean i guess i dude i hate bringing this up man i really do but i do feel like we need to come full circle and i did post this on instagram the other day and you did comment on it quickly but the the George Perez quote unquote uh, Infinity Gauntlet number one has finally come full circle. I consider myself very lucky that I got it. Not only period, you know, given Scott's um, story when it came to that whole thing, and it ended up not working out for him in like a strange way. Um, especially since I thought it wasn't going to work out for me about five times along the way, despite like this frantic last minute thing. Um, and then what happened was. I had gotten a delivery by certified mail like three plus weeks ago. And because of my schedule, I just couldn't get to the goddamn post office to get it. And in the meantime, I get this certified mail and I'm like, it says who it's from. It says a person's name. And I can't remember the person's name, but, you know, and I wouldn't want to say it even if I did. And I'm like, who the hell is this? Like, for those people who know certified mail, Certified mail is comes up bullshit about half the time, if not more. Like, I've gotten things by certified mail before, number one, from, like, the IRS that, that is, like, they want to certify the fact that you got, like, your tax bill from them. Or you get it from some bullshit law firm because somebody somewhere named you as a friend and they want to show that you signed for something. And then you find out that, like, they want you to call them because, like, this person is your friend and they want you to, you know, give some information on that. Or they're just people you don't even know that want that are wasting money on certified mail. So, like, there's a lot of nonsense there. And I was like, this has to be nonsense. I can't figure out what it is. Well, then time goes on and I have to travel and I have to do all this stuff. And then yesterday, I'm like, oh, shit, I still have that certified thing. So I tell Rachel, I'm like, I think I'm going to go try to get that certified today. And she's like, yeah, good luck. It's probably gone. Whatever. And I got a sneaking suspicion that I knew what it was all of a sudden. So I go there because I had asked you and I had actually asked you like a week and a half ago. Hey, when you get stuff via CGC, do you do it certified mail or not? And you said, I don't know either way. Now, since you go through a comic shop for that, I realized later you wouldn't know no matter what, right? Like, because you don't get it delivered straight to you. you no, get I, I have once. I have had oh, okay. my books that I've done at, um, like, San Diego Comic-Con. I took oh, some books right. over, yeah. and those were sent directly to me. But I don't remember them being certified. But yeah, also, yeah. at the same time, I didn't receive it. Someone downstairs... Uh, like the front gotcha. door received it and I went and picked it up. So if they signed for it, then then I actually wouldn't have known that. And that's actually a detail I just remembered right now. I didn't tell you over the phone. So Yeah. So So for me, the moment of clarity was that I had this quick flashback to when I opened my one comic that I got already from CGC, right? I basically own, what, three slab books at the moment and only one of them I've gotten straight from CGC. The other two I just happened to buy on eBay because it was a way better deal to get the goddamn thing slabbed than get a same condition unslabbed. And I was like, this is insane. I can get it slabbed for the same price, you know, if not cheaper. So anyway, it came back to me. I was like, shit, I did go to the post office for that. I remember opening it in my car 
outside the post office. So I go there and I tell the lady, I'm like, hey, I don't know if this is even still here for me. This is yesterday. Does it happen to be here? So she she's like, I don't know, man. It's been three weeks. So I say, hey, I understand. No big deal. She she walks back for a while. She comes back. She says, nah, it's not there. And she's like, I, I'm trying to think of what she asked me. She asks, well, who's it from? And and that's when I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've never seen this name before. And so I ask her, is there any way you can at least tell me like what state it came from? I have a theory. And I'm and I'm wondering if that theory is true. Now the theory was that it, it actually is a CGC book. CGC is based out of Florida. So if the damn thing came from Florida, then I would know even once it got sent back that I could say, hey, my package got sent back, etc. She's like, I'll go check. So she goes over to this other computer. She's at the computer and she's typing there for a while and I'm being patient, you know, whatever. Hey, she's trying to do me a favor. And then all of a sudden I, you know, I'm looking at my phone and then I look over there and she's gone. And I'm like, well, she didn't give me my information. Two minutes later, she walks in with the package. She's like, it was here after all. It's registered mail. It wasn't certified mail. But uh, yeah, I don't know why we didn't send this back yet, but we didn't send this back. And I was like, well, I'm glad you didn't. You know, so I signed for it. I get it. I go out to my car. It's my copy of Infinity Gauntlet number one signed by Jim Starlin. So yay on that. And then I happened to post it on uh, Instagram in my stories yesterday. And then Scott sends a note like almost immediately in all caps. And you put what the actual fuck right and and then you were like is that george perez's signature or something and the weird thing is the way jim starlin signs a signature he makes this big balloony j and a big balloony s that sort of look like a g and a p so what you said is the exact thing that i thought i was like this can't be right you know this can't be george perez's signature like he canceled on that long before you know back when his health was failing unfortunately he's no longer with us so rest in peace george but I was just like, this can't be right. So then I did a web search for Jim Starlin's signature. And then I was like, nope, that's Jim Starlin's signature. So, hey, for me, all's well that ends well. Again, I I hate to even bring it up with Scott on the line because Scott has some pain dealing with that. But uh, but yeah, it came back. It actually came back a 9.4. And uh, I was I was shocked because I opened it with my wife around. And hey, this is, I was like really happy. My wife had a, a big day yesterday because I opened it and she's like, holy crap, it came back a 9.4. And I'm like, hey, look at you, <laughs> you know? And then uh, like 30 minutes later, she made a reference to the crappy snare sound on St. Anger. And I'm like, wow, I am really impressed right now. Like you do listen to all this dumb shit that I say all the time. So anyway, um, but yeah, man, so I got it. I'm happy to have it. And uh, and yeah, it, it somehow ended up being okay after all that nonsense, you know? Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Everything came up Millhouse, man. I got I got lucky. So that's anyway, me, that's man. all the bullshit that's I got me. for now, man. Yeah, I think that's it for me too, man. Rock on. So, hey, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is Invader Comics. That is books that I'm reading. It's some pictures of me. And, of course, it's the comics I do. And then if you don't like me, why would you not like me, though? You're listening to this podcast. You're like 85 minutes in already. But if you don't and you only like giant monsters, it's cool by me. At Kadoja Kaiju on Instagram is that handle. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. KeithRFoster.com. You can get blog posts by me. You get all kinds of cool shit on the books I do. And, of course, you can also 
go to a web store and get three protectors, which is Kung Fu in space, or Kadoja, which is H.P. Lovecraft meets giant monsters. And you could pick up my books, Wanders of Melisanda and Second Shift, at accidentalaliens.com, Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Workers by Day, Superheroes by Night, all at accidentalaliens.com. Yeah. Hey, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, five stars on Spotify, five stars on iTunes podcasts. Give us some words. It really helps. Fuck the algorithms that you own them. And you can always contact me uh, or Keith on the social medias that we had provided you or making comics podcast at gmail.com. If you've got any questions, comments, concerns, something you want to talk about with us, something you want us to talk about on the air, we can do that for you. Hit us up making comics podcast at gmail.com or any of our social medias. Yeah, man. Hey, we did it. Like we actually decided to be like concise there. So let's roll this on out, man. I will see you next week, brother. Yay, yay.
nothing to it. And I hit stop.